0: And you may be asking them 25 feet away from a microphone, but I'm pretty sure that the person answering them is also 25 feet away from a microphone. Yeah, some of the mic placement on our tables, not great. We'll work on that, though. I That assumes that there's mic placement on tables. I'm pretty sure that not all of these sites put mics on tables. <laughs>
1: football fans it's now time for the d3football.com around the nation podcast here are your hosts matt coleman
2: you have a very forceful handshake mr
1: coleman
0: and greg thomas
1: thank you greg that was interesting too
0: there have been 50 seasons of NCAA Division III football. We've covered it for 25 years. We've got a podcast since 2007. That's this podcast. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, it's the only podcast directly from the folks at D3Football.com. We'll be here every week all season, some weeks twice, because we live and breathe this stuff. I'm Patrick Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com. I'm Greg Thomas.
3: I write around the nation at D3Football.com. And holy smokes, Pat, round two, wild stuff happening. If you fill out your brackets in pencil, maybe not a
0: bad idea this year, right? Uh, More so than you might think for all of the weeping and gnashing of teeth about the easy path Mount Union had to get back to the Stag Bowl. They did not get back to the national quarterfinals as they fell on Saturday to Alma there have been years that you could say with lip service too, you can't look past anybody in this bracket, but that would not be true. That was not true this year. It has not been true so far. And we will talk about that and a lot more here in episode 345. That's season 17, episode 19. We will talk with Carter St. John, the quarterback of the victorious Alma Scots. Yes, it's still pronounced Alma, folks may have to get used to it. It may come up again. We'll talk with him on Fast Five. We'll talk with Coach Kurt Patrick of Cortland. We'll hear from a lot of other things around the bracket here in this podcast. But before we go any further, I recognize the sponsor of this edition of the podcast, and that is D3Photography.com. These are our friends, our colleagues, a whole separate company that is not us, but that covers Division Three sports in a photographic way, a collection of photographers that are out there multiple times a week especially this time of year when you're in both basketball and football mode these folks around the country this week at a handful of games in the division three bracket how about you're looking for photos of oh north central against trinity maybe whitewater against wheaton maybe randolph making an ithaca maybe johns hopkins and union and then a whole bunch of basketball games earlier in the week maybe the key one i would point out might be connecticut college against Keene state but uh Greg, you know, this is the place to go, and this is the time of season when you are looking for nice things to give people. How about the memory of a nice photograph?
3: It is. Maybe you made the quarterfinals for the first time in school history. Wouldn't you like a photo of that? I know I would, Pat. And you can go to d3photography.com and order high-quality photographs from these events. And it is the season, Pat, you can get 10% off of your order by using the promo code d3football 10% off your order
0: yeah it is the time of the season to do that if you're listening to this podcast the day it comes out you may be inundated by a number of other promotions it is a Monday of a cyber variety but this discount has been here for you for a few weeks and is still here today go to d3photography.com to learn more peruse photos maybe buy something and thank you to D3Photography.com for sponsoring the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. All right, I promise we will talk about Alma. We will talk about the rest of the teams which won on Saturday. But, Greg, we have to talk about this at the top because Mount Union losing in the second round isn't something that happens every day. All right, so it's happened twice in the past four brackets. And they haven't won a national title since 2017. But it is still a big and deal. And, you know, four years ago when they lost to North Central in the second round, it was a game that was so foretold that i made the effort to go to alliance for a second round game which i'd never done before uh to see it happen because it felt like it could happen and you know greg frankly the way that i signaled that this could happen this week was to predict that it might be a 14 point game that was my prediction in quick hits it was not nearly as easily foreseen this past weekend
3: no, it wasn't, but I think you, we we talked about this on our podcast after Selection Sunday. Yeah. Uh, some of the things that we were intrigued with in the bracket, and one of the things was some of the matchups that Mount Union might have in their region, and it started with a potential second-round game with Alma. We, we know Alma can score quickly. They needed to. We're going to talk more about that later. Uh, I think maybe what we didn't realize is that Alma Scots can play some serious defense and they absolutely held their own with Mount Union's defense, which we know is very good.
0: Yeah, definitely not something that we knew as much about on Selection Sunday. I do remember us talking about that. (laughs) Like there are teams that can challenge Mount Union, but then would I extrapolate that out to say that they could also challenge North Central and win the national championship? I'm not quite sure about that, but you know, could Cortland do so maybe in terms of challenging Mount Union? Could Susquehanna do so? Yeah, maybe. Could Alma? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Just a reminder last week uh, when we talked about how many seniors there are on this Alma defense and, you know, the guys who just like being out there for as long as they had to, in this case on Saturday, 40 minutes to get the job done. But a matchup that was intriguing when we saw that it could happen. I did not think that it would happen in this manner.
3: No defense was on the field for 40 minutes and 99 snaps. That's a lot of snaps to play against Mount Union and only give up 20 points. You really cannot say enough about the effort that the Alma Almascots defense put in to give their offense a chance to finally get some traction and get going for that massive 24 point fourth quarter.
0: Greg, obviously the Mount Union fan base is not one that is accustomed to, to losing. They're not accustomed to losing at this level of the bracket i have seen a lot of nasty frankly reactions on x you know this is the platform formerly known as twitter right including from mount union fans including from former mount union players if you guys want to find it you can go look for it uh mount union had to lock comments on its end of the game score post on that platform i'd like to spotlight however a more moderate take and this one comes from trey jones Jones was a second-team All-American at cornerback for Mount Union in 2015. That was his senior season. During his career at Mount, Purple Raiders won two titles, and they lost in the stag the other two times. His handle is at tjones underscore 05, and here's what he had to say. The toughest thing to do is continue the football tradition at Mount Union. Champion the standard. That's a phrase that they've used over the course of the past several years. Champion the standard is real, and it's hard AF, to bring the hardware home every single year. We've all gone through it. When you come here, that's the commitment you make. We got to lock in and get back. And you got the uh, 100 emoji after it. Greg, I've seen people calling for heads to roll. That seems excessive for a guy who has, I think, gone to something like 41 and 3, right? But but this is, a like I said, it's a situation that uh, Mountain Union fans are not accustomed to being in.
3: No, it isn't. And I think for a little bit of perspective, here we are. Mount Union has lost to Alma in the second round. Nobody would have thought this is possible. In fact, a lot of people who saw this bracket just assumed Mount Union would be in Salem playing for a championship as there's nobody on that half of the bracket that could possibly compete with them. We saw that that's not true, but I think something that it should point out to people is is that just because Mount Union has for so many years made advancing through the tournament look easy doesn't mean that it is, doesn't mean that they have played bad teams or mediocre teams in the tournament. It just goes to show how excellent Mount Union has been and how consistently excellent they have been. Here, here we are at the top of this show saying let's put some respect on Mount Union's name which seems weird but I think we I think we almost have to because the reaction to them losing this game is has been a little bit
0: out of hand. Yeah, if you are looking to have the head of head coach Jeff Dart. This is a guy who's won 93.2% of his games. It is 42 and 3 at Mount Union. I'm going to go back to our playoff capsules too because that's where I went to go confirm what uh, his career record was you'll know they're playing well. If, and here's what we said, and this is me. I wrote this one. It says some years Mount has not needed to play well in any of the first three rounds to advance. Not sure that is true this year. And there's another couple sentences. Also, you'll know they're playing poorly. If listen, your guess is as good as ours. The best hope may be to see if something happens late in a tight game because personnel aren't accustomed to making plays and executing with the game on the line in the fourth quarter. These weren't high leverage moments because Mount Union was up by four touchdowns, but in the second half against Marietta, Mount Union was sacked three times and threw an interception. And of course, in that second half, they were also held scoreless. Hard to disagree
3: with a, with an assessment that you know, Mount Union did not have their best fourth quarter. Alma had a fantastic fourth quarter. We would have to dig around to see when was the last time Mount Union gave up 24 points in any quarter, let alone the fourth quarter of a game. That was an elimination game. We'll get the stats people on that quickly. Alma made the plays in the fourth quarter. Uh, they got the big touchdown, answered a Mount Union touchdown with one play touchdown, and that was one that they had to have. They couldn't spend two or three minutes going down the field to get a touchdown there, down two scores. you know. And then they got the big play from Carter St. John to get way down the field on that 96-yard drive to put them in a position to be able to run a more conventional offense.
0: The research folks are back with the answer. You interested? I'm very interested. If you think about it, you probably know which game this is, right? This is the national quarterfinal in 2013 between Mount Union and Wesley. Wesley scored 25 in the fourth quarter and lost by that score of 62 to 59. That was a 25-point Fourth quarter for Wesley, a 14-point fourth quarter for Mountain Union, and they needed almost all of those 14 points to survive and win that game. The Joe Callahan era of Wesley College football.
2: Game ball. Game ball. Game balls.
0: Game balls. Game balls. It's time for game balls, Greg.
3: Pat, my game ball goes to Wisconsin Whitewater running back Tamir Thomas. Thomas rumbled for 224 yards on 28 carries in the Warhawks 49-42 win over Wheaton and scored two of his four touchdowns in the fourth quarter to help secure the Warhawks' place in the quarterfinals. Thomas jump the Warhawks' offense with a 56-yard touchdown run on the opening drive of the game. He then finished Whitewater's scoring with a 20-yard touchdown run, just one play after Egon Hine intercepted Ben Thorson in the fourth quarter. In all, Thomas scored four touchdowns, two on the ground, two through the air. And for his high-scoring performance, Tamir Thomas gets my game ball.
0: We'll talk about that game a little more coming up in a little bit. My game ball, Greg, is going to go to Carter St. John. He's the quarterback at Alma. St. John is a sophomore. He completed 20 of 33 passes for 303 yards and three touchdowns, including the game winner with 10 seconds left in the game. First off, here's what that sounded like on the Mountain Union broadcast. 13 seconds with no timeouts left. St. John from the shotgun. He will keep it, jump pass, touchdown Alma. Cole
1: Thomas, the tight end with 10 seconds remaining. The Scots take the lead
2: for the first time. Just a little jump pass, Mount was ready for the run in case it was a run. St. John took it to the line of scrimmage and then bang, right to Cole Thomas who's wide open for the touchdown. And that may have given St. Thomas, St. Thomas, that may have
0: have given Alma the win. And here's more with Carter St. John. We'll flip ahead to Fast Five. see you all met. You all met. You all met. Now on Fast Five with Carter St. John. All Carter St. John. He's the Alma quarterback did was lead his team on a 96 yard drive at mount union on saturday to cap off that 24 to 20 win i know you've had a day to let it settle in how does it feel
4: really still doesn't even feel real i'm kind of the type of person that lets everything like it's super exciting in the moment everyone was crying and everything especially coach couch uh uh uh, but uh um i'm kind of the person that kind of looks forward to next week i'm sure in 30 years or whatever i'll look back and really remember how special this was and I've already seen a lot of tweets and a lot of stuff from uh, like President Abernathy and a lot of alumni that said this is the most historic win in Alma College history so I mean reading that kind of opens your eyes a little bit about what we did yesterday but uh, again we didn't do anything except win the second round of a playoff game we still have hope we have one more game and then hopefully more after that but all that all that win gave us was one more week together.
0: Well, that's certainly true. I will say this, Carter, for those of us who follow Division Three for a long time, we have heard over the decades people at Mount Union talk about a guy, you know, stepping into the starting lineup and then not really being the man at Mount Union, at quarterback, until you lead them on the drive. And there have been many of them, you know, they've come back to win a lot of games. I know you've been the man, obviously, at Alma for quite some time now, but um, you know, take over at your own four yard line. You know, they give, they rip off a hell of a punch. They down it. You have a minute 29 to go. Just kind of talk us through what that drive was like for you, if you can.
4: Uh, yeah, really. It almost feels like a normal Alma college offense drive. Hopefully at least throughout the first 11 games, we'd been able to score fairly quickly. So it's nothing, nothing we haven't done before. So, you know, I mean, their defense played spectacular in the first three quarters. And then Finally got some things going on uh, the fourth, but I mean really a lot of the drives, even in the first three quarters, we were like one play away. We missed one block, had one drop. I missed one read, whatever. We were so close to picking up that first, first down, being able to go fast. So I think like we were right there. I think everyone on the offense was super confident that we were able to. Um, And then also credits to the defense for just doing their job throughout the entire game, um, holding that really good uh, Mount Union offense to, Uh, 20 points Uh, I mean it was super special seeing them uh, on that last drive like I said just do their job being able to uh, get the ball back to the offense so it's just hopefully I'm returning the favor to them by going down and scoring
0: all right Jordan Williams takes that little pass and then breaks it into something that really kind of changes the way that final minute of the game goes for you what are you I, I can't imagine I assume that when you're calling that play in the huddle that you're expecting it to go for 52 yards. So maybe what were you expecting and then how how did you react as you saw what happened?
4: Really, I thought he was going to score. I mean, as I caught the snap, uh, that's the primary uh, target on that uh, play is his little angle route. And as it was going down, I tried to look the linebacker off to the route on the outside. And I saw him go out and I think he kind of stumbled a little bit as he cut back in. I was thinking, man, this this will be perfect. I really didn't even lead him into it. He kind of had caught it on the back shoulder, but uh, he took it. He's a very special athlete. And then once he got in the open field and I think broke a tackle, I really I thought he was gone Um, and then eventually got tackled. And then as soon as he got tackled, uh, uh, the entire offense, I think snapped their head over the sideline. Cause like I said, we go fast. It's a lifestyle. Um, So uh, I think everyone was prepared. Uh, The players are told not to worry about the uh, clock. We just let the coaches do the timeouts. We just, look over if it's a timeout we'll uh, hustle back over if not we're ready for the next play so um heck of a play by Jordan and uh very very glad he's on our team
0: I'm going to fast forward a little bit to a third and goal from the one this is the one where the false start knocks you guys back and you know in a lot of cases that might be a backbreaker a deal breaker but uh, it was not for you
4: no yeah I mean at, at the end of the day I I just had the mindset that we, we're still in field goal range. Uh, I mean, we had 13 seconds, no timeout. So we knew we had one shot left. We took it, threw it over to Ty Lauterman, our jump ball guy, eventually got the penalty. But at the end of the day, we had 13 seconds. Regardless, uh, we were going to put uh, Josh Hernandez on, on the field to uh, at least send it into overtime to give us even more uh, breath uh, for another period of play. But that, just not doing anything stupid on that. Uh, turnover whatever getting tackled in bounds with no timeouts because um, then that would have been fourth down and wouldn't have been able to do anything so at the end of the day just being cautious because we know we could take it in overtime and then whatever happens after that happens
0: and then the jump pass I thought you really sold the draw super well and then all of a sudden out came the ball
4: uh, yeah I mean I actually called it wrong in the huddle I uh, saw the play call and then blacked out a little bit and I wouldn't say forgot it because I knew what the play call was and able to get the bare minimum, but the running back was on the wrong side. The offensive line didn't do what we thought they were going to do. So I take credit for that, the blame for that. But uh, then, I mean, they sold out on the run and was able to just barely get it over the offensive line. Um, Our center isn't the tallest guy in the world, so just being able to get it over JB's head um, was pretty funny, but. Yeah. I mean, Cole, I think they, they still on the run. So Cole Thomas was just sitting in the end zone. I think the closest, uh, purple Raider was probably about five, six yards away from him. So worked out perfectly.
0: I know we are over our five minutes, but heck it's the playoffs. We're going to talk about it. I want one more question if it's all right for this interview. And it is just to talk about what it's like to be hosting a quarterfinal game on your campus.
4: Yeah. I mean, uh, we love it It's first time ever Alma's won two playoff games so we're in uncharted territory uh, i think the fans the students and the alumni really love it uh they've given us a heck of a lot of support like i said all on twitter all social social medias i've seen stuff um from everyone even the basketball players other teams are supporting us which lovely
3: pat it's nice to see you bring carter st john back for his own moment in fast five after uh bringing the heat last week To Jason Couch about uh, a Carter St. John performance, I'd say he bounced back pretty well, don't you?
0: Uh, He certainly did. I want to let people know, too, I teased, or maybe I alluded to the fact at the top of this podcast that there will be more than one podcast this week. There will be. Look for Podcast 346 in your feed on Thursday afternoon, Friday morning, something like that. We'll have a lengthy sit-down with Carter St. John and with Kurt Fitzpatrick, the head coach at Cortland. And also with Pedro Rusa, head coach at Randolph-Macon. Keith McMillan making a Around the Nation podcast return with that one. We will have more. And that is also when we will do our preview of quarterfinal matchups. Going bracket by bracket. And Greg, it would be silly to start with anything other than the top right bracket in this podcast. Where we start with Alma defeating Mountain Union. We're not quite yet done with this topic. But... Greg, I want to remind you of something you said in our team group conversation on Saturday afternoon, and that was this.
3: Alma has done a really important thing for teams that are playing Mount Union for the first time, and that is not have their doors blown off in the first 20 minutes.
0: Right. Indeed, that's the case, right? Sometimes teams give up two or three scores before they can even get their feet under them when they go to Alliance, when they go to face the machine for the first time, and Alma did not.
3: Well, they sure didn't, Patton Alma got some great plays from their defense and the special teams to make sure that Mount Union couldn't run away early. Purple Raiders received the opening kickoff. They drove methodically down the field, but that drive ended with Mount Union on the 12-yard line and Jack Kretschmar intercepting Braxton Plunk in the end zone. Mount Union's third drive of the first quarter also gets into the red zone, but this time that drive stalls out on the Alma 7. The Scots block a short field goal attempt, and they survive a first quarter where they couldn't really get anything going offensively without giving up any points. So they're still in the game
0: after one quarter, despite no first downs. We continue into the second quarter, remain scoreless pretty deep into the quarter. And another key moment, I thought, after Mountain Union scored on that parting of the Maroon Sea touchdown by DeAndre Parker with two minutes left in the first half, and Alma, you know, famously not known for long clock-burning drives, they give the ball back and in Alma territory at that with a minute 23 left, I really thought that Alma holding them to a field goal attempt and a long one at that, a 44-yarder, was a pretty big deal. 10 nothing at the half is so much better than 14 Alma got a big sack there from Nico Candela. They benefited from a holding call, and they got a big pass breakup to make that possible.
3: Yeah, 10-0 there instead of 14-0. Particularly when you give up the ball in your own side of the field, you're sort of playing on a short field, kind of a sudden change situation. Your defense gets a stop, holds Mount Union to a field goal. That feels like a win. And even though you gave up points right before halftime, I think the Scots go into half there feeling like they did a really good job and and are certainly still in the game.
0: Greg, we talked with Carter St. John about that final drive, part of this 24-point fourth quarter, but specifically for you and I to talk about, that spot where you've got goal to go from the one and your left tackle jumps early, false start, so many times that is a spot where it ends. You almost can't make a mistake against Mount Union, but Alma was able to recover.
3: They did recover. They go on the next play. They go uh, fade to the corner and Carter St. John throws a a great, a great pass where that's either going to be a touchdown or Mount union is going to have to interfere to prevent a touchdown. They chose to interfere. So Alma then resets back on the two yard line and sort of is back in a position they were before the false start where now they have a lot of options. They can run, they can pass and Mount union from the two yard line you kind of have to sell out and guess one way or another and mount union guessed wrong
0: right i mean cutter st john did a good job of showing the opposite right he sold the draw pretty well and then the jump pass really hard to defend at that point
3: yeah cole thomas got behind everybody wide open and at that point you just have to get the ball to cole thomas's catch radius i believe is the is the phrase they use pat and Carter St. John uh, got it got it to where Cole Thomas could get his hands on it and bring that in for the game winner.
0: If not for that game, we would have been talking at the top of the show about the other game in this top right bracket, more late drama in this back-and-forth game between Grove City and Cortland.
3: Yeah, Cortland started fast in this one. They scored the first two touchdowns of the game, but Grove City, as they've been doing all year, they never flinched, and Logan Pfeiffer threw two touchdown passes to the Ryans, the first, a 14-yard pass to Ryan Heckathorn for the Wolverines' first score, and the second, a 4-yard pass to last week's hero, Ryan Lennart, to tie the score just before halftime. After trading field goals in the third quarter, Grove City took a 7-point lead on Pfeiffer's third touchdown pass of the game, this one to Scott Fraser with 8 minutes and 27 seconds left to play. On the third play of Cortland's next drive, Zach Boys got flushed from the pocket, scrambled to his right, Threw back across his body to the middle of the field, which is almost never a good idea. And Grove City's Trevor Beck intercepted that pass. Cortland's defense, though, they picked boys up. They forced a fumble on Grove City's second play after the interception. And that gives Cortland's offense another chance to score. And score they did, Pat, using 12 plays to cover 57 yards, including two fourth-down pickups capped by... A Jaden Alfano St. John one-yard plunge to make the score 24 to 23 in favor of Grove City. Kurt Fitzpatrick knows what the people want, <laughs> and here's how the two-pointer sounded with Bobby Comstock and Tim Smith on the call from the Red Dragon Sports Network.
0: Oh, Mike Maloga, number 93 in a row. If he if he hits it, but they're going for two. They're going
1: for the win, Boyce Throwing. Where
0: is it? It's caught. He's in. He conversion is caught. Oh, We dropped it. Ah,
1: uh, did he? What? Oh, don't tell me we're going to have a
0: controversial ending now.
1: I thought he caught that clearly in the end zone.
0: Kendrick, <laughs> hold on.
3: Conversion is good. And that's Zach Boyes getting flushed to his right and throwing back toward the middle of the field again. But this time he found Omari Kendrick for the two points and a 25 to 24 lead. But they left one minute and 23 seconds on the clock, Pat. And we know Grove City knows a thing or two about last minute drives. Logan Piper indeed led his team into field goal range and set up this field goal attempt with nine seconds left to play.
1: 37 yards for the lead and perhaps... The right to move on. The kick is up. It's a wobbler, but it has the oh, distance. Oh, it's no, no good. good! It's no good! It went wide the to the point, left! It no good with six seconds left on the clock. Are you kidding me? <laughs>
3: wide left and Cortland rallies and survives 25-24, to 24 and they move on to their first quarterfinal appearance since 2008.
0: Give the people what they want indeed. I asked Coach Kurt Fitzpatrick about that once I got his name right. Now joined on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast by Kurt Fitzpatrick. He's the head coach at Cortland. Whatever other name I may have called him in the most recent past, it's definitely Kurt Fitzpatrick. And if I need a reminder, it's right here on the screen. Coach, I appreciate you joining us and being okay with apparently whatever it is I choose to call you in any particular week. Thanks for having me. You can call me whatever, whatever you'd like. Um, my my mother was the
1: one who who let me know that you had mis mispronounced my name. So <laughs> she's a loyal
0: listener. Take, take 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 that for what it's worth. I appreciate that. I'm uh, of all the markets or you know the niches of uh, Division three football fandom that I have considered in the past that probably listened to us. I am not sure that coaches' parents necessarily uh, reached my radar. So that's great to know um tell us about saturday obviously right uh if if not for this other game that happened in alliance ohio i think everybody would be talking about the great finish that you guys had on saturday so to kind of just talk us through that a little bit first
1: yeah i mean a great great football game um grove city is a tremendous team very well coached um it was just a, a back and forth battle all, all all game long honestly and um you know, the ending was kind of like I, I just felt like their offense was gaining momentum and uh and we had we had a lot of young guys out there on defense and I just felt like we needed we needed to try to get the lead right right then and there when we scored and um, you know, we were fortunate to force a turnover we turned the ball over early in the fourth and then forced a turnover right back they kind of gave it right back to us and um, I just f- I felt like you know I told our defense um after the first turn, after we threw the interception, uh, told our defense that if they could get a stop, that we were if we were able to go down and score, that we were going to go for two to win. Um, so I kind of made the decision, right, kind of earlier uh, that that we were going to try and go for two. Um, our I think our players love, love that they they like when I'm when I make aggressive decisions. Uh, so you know it was uh, I just our players played with a lot of heart, a lot of grit. Um, There's ups and downs. You know this is. If you look at the game statistically between the two teams, the number of first downs, the number of y- the yardage, the time up, it was all kind of even. It was a very evenly matched football game, and I was just proud of our guys that we could make the one extra play to 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 win the game.
0: I hear Greg in the back of my ear, you know, when he's listening to this for the podcast saying, give the people what they want. That is his – that's always his take. He basically always wants someone to go for two and go for the win in a situation like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's – that's uh so Greg, Greg could play for me, I guess. <laughs> play play for me at Cortland. It's it's uh, you know a lot about uh, just just trying to uh, you know trying to win the game. You know we our players like you know I'm assuming other teams have the players the same way that they, they like to be aggressive. They they want they want you to try to win rather than try to tr- just j- just just try to tie. And you know we I felt good about our play too and our players and get you know getting Zach on the perimeter. If you've seen the play, you know we spread. And Zach boys out and, um, you know, they they made a great play and it's, uh, you know, I'm just just excited, excited for our team and our program and our alumni that we're able to, uh, to, to to move on to a point that Cortland's only been three other times in our history. So very, very very excited about that. Moving on to the bottom right bracket.
3: At Homewood Field, Johns Hopkins never trailed, but they needed a fourth quarter surge to finally pull away from Union in a 39 to 17 win. After scoring the first two touchdowns of the game and holding leads of 13 to 0 and 16 to 7, Hopkins moved to the fourth quarter with just a 22 to 17 lead over Union. Spencer Ugla's second rushing touchdown of the game capped a 70-yard drive early in the fourth quarter to push the Blue Jay lead to 29 to 17. Hopkins then intercepted Union's Donovan Paquette on Union's next two possessions, turning those turnovers into 10 points and a comfortable 39 to 17 advantage. Spencer Uglow led Johns Hopkins with three rushing touchdowns to go with his 68 rushing yards. Bay Harvey had 282 pass yards, one passing touchdown he added, one nifty touchdown on the ground as well. Jack Schondelmeyer added two interceptions for the Blue Jay defense.
0: Shondelmeier stepping up this week in the absence of Josh Anderson in the secondary, and here is what Shondelmeier had to say about it.
4: Josh is a great leader, a great friend. You know, he's helped me. You know, like I was hurt at the start of the season, kind of coming back and then back into the defense. And he was like always there for me. He's kind of like a like a role model in a sort of way. So he's done a great job still this week, just helping me out with everything.
0: Moving on to the other game in this bracket, a game in which I think we thought was going to be closer or close or competitive. And it was none of those in Ashland, Virginia. No,
3: Randolph-Macon responded to a surprisingly close round one game in a big way with a dominant 46-0 to win over Ithaca. Seven first-half possessions for Ithaca ended in four punts and three interceptions. The Bombers had very few answers for the Yellow Jackets offense as well. So Randolph-Macon racked up 30 first downs in the game. They converted six of 13 third downs plus three for three on fourth downs. Macon enjoyed about a 25-minute advantage in time of possession. Ithaca just never got off the ground in this one, Pat, and Randolph-Macon advances to their first-ever quarterfinal in dominant fashion.
0: Didn't get off the ground, didn't do very well on the ground either. Brandon Evans, one pick short of the full McMillan, three interceptions, all of them in the first half, and Randolph-Macon converted some of that into points. But uh, I tell you, too, this is another one of those instances where it's hard to believe that we're watching the same team two weeks in a row, right? Randolph-Macon barely beats Christopher Newport. They throttle Ithaca. I mean, Ithaca is essentially never in the game. There were moments, right? I mean, Randolph-Macon missed the extra point the first two times down the field, and then they had a field goal attempt blocked early in the third quarter, and at that point, it's still 12-0, and you could see... In another storyline, in another universe, Ithaca takes that, grabs back the momentum, makes Randolph make and pay for those couple of mistakes, but uh, they never were able to do so.
3: No, particularly in the first half, they just couldn't get away from untimely turnovers. You mentioned Brandon Evans, three interceptions, all in the first half. Keith McMillan on site, by the way, sweating that uh, interception record, <laughs> watching, it, watching it threatened in his own presence, that would have been an amazing thing. And with an entire half to play, there was plenty of opportunity for Evans to get that fourth and complete the complete the full McMillan. Not quite, maybe next week, but, uh, you know, really outstanding game in, in most phases for Randolph-Macon. You mentioned some issues in the kicking game, but um, really no issues at all getting past
4: Ithaca this week.
0: I think Keith McMillan would have been just fine with having someone tie his record if it uh, meant his team advancing to the national quarterfinals winning two playoff games for the first time in the program's history i mentioned that we'll talk with pedro aruza keith mcmillan talks with pedro aruza we'll do that on our next podcast at length about where the program's been how it's developed to this point moving into their game with johns hopkins in the national quarterfinals we move over to the left hand side of the bracket greg and Aurora jumps out to a 14-0 lead on uw Lacrosse as the game starts. Their freshman quarterback, Tyler Adkins, this is a guy making just his second start in his career. Remember, Ian Luyando got injured in the regular season finale, out for the rest of the season. Tell you what, Greg, they hardly missed a beat with this kid. Tyler Adkins looks really good. He had a fantastic game on Saturday, but it was not enough. Against Kaiser Helterbrand and Gabe Lynch and Jack Studer and company, but we're going to hear from Matt Janis about how the early moments of the game went.
2: We had him pinned in third and sixteen, I think it was, and, and end up giving up a first down on that. They go all the way down the field uh, and end up turning that into a touchdown. We go down fourteen uh, nothing. So obviously not the. Uh, Ideal way you, you like to start, but uh, you know I think credit to the conference schedule that, that our kids played and, and, and some of the games that they've gone through is, is they just again they just focus on the next series they hit uh, reset they don't they don't think about what happened before and they just focus on the next play focus on the next series and and doing what they got to do and able to get ourselves back into that tie and then eventually uh, take the lead and I think. Um, you know I think I told the team this on Monday you know when it gets to playoff games told them it again um, today uh, after this after this game in the locker room told them that you know I think in in playoff games and when you play at this level of intensity um, two things make a difference and it's your defense and your your offensive line uh, and and it's certainly your special teams and I think we're able to see plays on on both on both those sides and obviously with their offensive line and what they were able to do and Obviously, Gabe had a, a a heck of a time running the ball. A heck of a job by him uh, running the ball. And obviously, Kaiser and Ryan did great things. But but our offensive line paved the way for that game. And then uh, to be able to generate, you know, we talked about stops and having stops and be able to generate a stop on special teams. I know people don't think of it that way, but uh, on a kickoff to to get a fumble uh, recovery on kickoff. I mean, that's a that was a, an absolutely huge play.
0: Greg, this happened just after the end of the first quarter. My kind of traditional way of working is to spend the first quarter on the field shoot some video get some you know feel of the game from what it's like down at field level and then head back up to the box I'm walking back up to the box right past this kickoff I mean you know safely out of bounds all of that but right past this kickoff as it gets fumbled and I'm like "Mm, this is not gonna go well no
3: kind of reminded you a little bit of uh, maybe the Wheaton Mount St. Joseph game last week with Mount St. Joseph getting 14 quick points and then Wheaton kind of steadying the ship and rallying for a win there. Lacrosse, a little bit easier time in the fourth quarter than Wheaton had last week, but really important for them to kind of get their bearings straight and then 21 real fast points in that second quarter uh, really turn that game around.
0: Yeah, Helterbrand on the afternoon, 11 of 15 passing for 317 yards. He threw for five touchdowns. He ran for two touchdowns, setting the school record for touchdown passes with 33, breaking the record held by, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Evan Lewandowski. That's correct. Evan Lewandowski, who, of course, then went on to play for UW-Whitewater after uh, all that was said and done. Also tied the school record, of course, for passing touchdowns in a playoff game. That perhaps is not so surprising. The win, 56-35. Relatively easy in the end for UW lacrosse. I think it's really bright future, though, for Aurora. Now you've established you've got two guys who can really play this position. And the way that Don Beebe was talking about Tyler Adkins after the game kind of leads you to believe that he is really high on this young man as well.
3: And in just the two games that we've seen Adkins start, two playoff games in the second start, he's going into the 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 home field of the WIAC champion uh, to put up the kind of numbers he did against lacrosse. Really impressive stuff for
0: a kid making his second start. 37 to 54 passing, 390 yards and four touchdowns. They did manage to pick him off once. Other side of this bracket uh sets up North Central to come to UW Lacrosse, more on that in a little bit, but North Central had to get past Trinity of Texas first.
3: Yeah, North Central scored twice before Trinity's offense even got on the field. Then they weathered a brief rally, then they ran away and hit from the Tigers on the way to a 71 to 28 win in Naperville. The first 10 minutes of this game were a roller coaster pat. North central received the opening kickoff. They scored immediately as they do. Uh, Trinity then fumbled the ensuing kickoff, which leads immediately to Joe Sacco's second touchdown in the first two minutes and 40 seconds of the game. Trinity then rallies with two touchdowns. So they tie the score 14 to 14. There's still five minutes left in the first quarter. (laughs) This has all happened in the first 10 minutes of the game. Those five minutes were enough time for North central to score two more times in that first quarter. They get two more touchdowns in the second quarter. They're up 41-14 to at halftime, and the route was well on at that point. North Central, they rack up 536 yards of offense. Luke Lainan throws four touchdowns, and the North Central defense intercepted Tucker Horn three times, his only three interceptions of the season.
0: Another one of a number of crazy wins for North Central this season, Greg. And I don't think we're done with crazy wins from the Cardinals yet. But uh, rather than spend too much more on the specifics of this game, I'm going to yield the floor, perhaps for an extended length of time, to Cardinals coach Brad Spencer for a, uh, a few hot moments. I don't agree with the entirety of this take, but it's worth listening to. And I apologize in advance for the poor quality audio. This is the cleaned up version as much as I am able to clean it up. The question here was from Frank Rossi and diving into the question. As to whether North Central or UW Lacrosse should be hosting this quarterfinal.
5: I'll be honest, they have eight Division Three games, they're 7 and 1. We have nine Division Three games, we're 9 and 0. I don't understand how the strength schedule is it's hard with ours. We have nine wins, They have seven. Um, and I think that's where the discussions start happening about the system and where maybe it's a little bit broken down. You have regional rankings that coaches from each conference make. Are they even seeing film of those other teams to rank Warburg ahead of us or anybody else ahead of us? And then you have a committee who is given rules by the NCAA. You can't have people fly, you have to regionally put people where they go. <laughs> There's six regions, you have you're four pods. So you're going to have 2 1 somewhere. <laughs> To me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. If, if you want to have a playoff and get your top 32 teams in, then how do we have six teams in the top 25 not in this playoff, including when the playoff started, the number 14 Linfield isn't in it. To me, that's the team that has screwed, is Linfield. They're number four, five, six most of the year. They lose the last game of the year, and they're out. So is that a true championship? It's a regional championship, and Look, we won national titles, and I am extremely proud of that. Um, if we can go and do it again ever, I'll be proud of it again. But I know for a fact, sitting in the AFCA coaches' meetings that Coach Katz is in and often running, that the coaches want to see change, and they want something that makes a little bit more sense. Uh, to me, you just you have a, a committee who's kind of stuck between uh, rock and hard plays, Iraq, it's the same thing, stuff between the rock and the hard place. Um, I know for me, the last couple of weeks, it hasn't been complaining or anything like that. It's just asking a lot of questions. You know, understand you know, the system, understand where people are, understand why there's three top 10 teams on one side and six on the other, four of which are in the same quad. Um, it's just to understand. I, I, again, like I told these guys. When the bracket came out, I was texting my wife about our kids. I heard her name. I looked up. Went back to texting my wife about our kids. It doesn't matter who we're playing. Like I said, you have to beat them all, or you're going to play whoever beat them. So to me, it's all the same. This, this is not this is not me saying oh, or us. Look, we just scored 77 and 67 in the first two games. So I think our guys are up for the challenge. Uh, but I just globally we can be an advocate, if I can be an advocate for the change that I think all D3 wants to see, to get the best 32 teams in the entire country in, then I'm going to do that. That's, that's part of what I'm supposed to do. You NSA's know, mission is to provide an excellent athletic and academic experience for student athletes. We have to ask the question, is that happening? If the best teams aren't in the playoff, and so then how do we get to getting the best teams in the playoff? Again, I'm gonna go back to Linfield. I would guarantee you they're one of the top 32 teams in the country. Guarantee it. And to me, that's the shame of it, is you have those six teams that have been ranked, they're, they're not participating. shame of it's not who we're playing or what our quad is. We don't, we really don't care. We're, we're handling our own business, we're preparing the same every week, just like we do for 10 weeks in our conference. But I know there's proposals on the table uh, to not only pairwise like hockey does and and just take the human element out of it and get one through 32 ranks. And maybe that would help. Maybe it would help to get more teams in. I know that's on the table. So why not do it? Why not give our student athletes that experience that they deserve? To me, that's our job as, as coaches, is to propel change so that these guys have the best experience possible. And I'm not talking about where you're seeing or we are playing. I'm talking about getting a system so that there's enough people, the right teams, are in. To me, that's providing an excellent experience. And that's something that I would love to be a part of and hopefully we'll get done in my time as a <coughs> coach. Maybe it will, maybe it we'll won't. Uh, the only thing I really care about is getting ready for lacrosse. Whether we're here, we're there, doesn't matter. We traveled up there before. We traveled, we left on Thanksgiving, go to Mount Union. It's fine, whatever. Uh, we're going to play football. Once the ball's down, you're playing football. It really, it doesn't matter where you're playing. Uh, in fact, I think travel trips sometimes are better, anyways, uh, for a So maybe a little bit longer answer than what you hoped for. Um, but like I said, I, I think I'm just saying what everybody wants to say as a coach. Um, if that makes me a good guy or a bad guy. I don't know, but I'm going to say it um, because our student athletes deserve it. Student athletes at Linfield deserve it. These guys deserve it. Uh, you're not a normal student. You're working out at six or five or four a.m. and you're going to class and you're at practice and you're studying film and you're going to study hall responsibility to
3: the best possible experience. One thing we've learned about Brad Spencer really since he was hired and you talked to him in his still empty office back in episode 302, is that he's really thoughtful and just seems to have a good perspective on things both on the field and off. I appreciate his comments here, Pat. Obviously, the balance or imbalance of this bracket has been an ongoing topic since selection Sunday. But Spencer raises good points. I don't know that we're in agreement with his position on Linfield exactly. Agreed. Uh, but there's there's a way to approach the conversation about the bracketing for this tournament without complaining or getting angry. Um, I thought these were good comments from Spencer, and I hope the reasonable dialogue about how to improve the bracketing process can continue and ultimately result in some positive changes for the betterment
0: of the student-athlete experience. It kind of begs the question, right? I mean, we're not going to, and I would not advocate for having a tournament of just the best 32 teams. That is not what NCAA Division III is about. We've said that multiple times over the course of multiple years, multiple times this year. But if we had the option to win the money from the new NCAA March Madness contract starts flowing the drip by drip into the Division III coffers here in the next couple of years, would we be better off Spending that on eight extra at-large teams? Or would we be better off spending it bracketing this thing appropriately? There is going to be more money there. One of these, both of these things really would enhance the student-athlete experience. One of it would bring the playoff experience to another almost 500 student-athletes. And that's very valuable. But to have also a national bracket rather than, he's correct. It is absolutely a bunch of regional brackets, more so this year than in so many years previously. A bunch of regional brackets ending in who knows what a stag bowl might look like. I know we probably can't do both, and maybe if we can only do one, maybe it makes sense to have North Central against Alfred State in the first round and the worst team remaining in the bracket when the second round comes around. Of course, that assumes that the committee understands that North Central is the best team in the country.
3: That's a separate topic.
0: Yeah, and a whole separate podcast. But I figured as long as we were digressing, right? Whitewater versus Wheaton, a game that was, again, surprisingly close. Yeah, we talked a little bit about Whitewater's 49-42
3: to win over Wheaton earlier in game balls. But let's focus in on the end of the game for a second, Pat, where Whitewater had an opportunity with about 25 seconds left and inside the 10-yard line to kick a field goal to go ahead by two possessions but they pass that up and they call a QB run on fourth and five.
0: Yeah. Bypassing that late field goal is definitely something I've heard coaches talk about in the past, Greg, you know, making sure you don't give up a blocked field goal and a big return. And Jace Rindle said that in the post game, that's exactly what went into this decision. Thanks to Parker Olson of the Royal purple. That's the campus newspaper at UW whitewater. He provided this audio.
5: That's something that we've talked about. As a staff before, getting the field goal blocked earlier in the game, we felt that the likelihood of uh, them marching the field 80-plus 90 yards would be would be harder to do than the likelihood of a blocked extra point return for a touchdown, a blocked field goal return for a touchdown. So we wanted to keep the ball in, in Alex's hands. We knew that good things would happen. Uh, I, I think that should have been a first down and the game should have been over, but we'll see what the film shows and, and we'll talk about it and learn from it.
0: I think Jace Rindle is having an incredible first season as head coach. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But this is also one of those games, again, where I thought it was really difficult to believe we're watching the same team two weeks in a row. How is Wheaton the same team that had to fight to get past Mount St. Joseph and also the same team that took Whitewater this deep into the fourth quarter?
3: You know, I think what we're seeing from Wheaton is that their offense can absolutely go with anybody. Gio Weeks is great, and he had a great game on Saturday But Ben Thorson he's been outstanding all season and Wheaton has just oodles of talent at receiver with Ben Bonga and Seth Kortenhoven and all the other guys that they have to throw to they're just tough to keep out of the end zone and last week the Thunder got the one extra stop that they needed this week it was Whitewater with the late interception that led to the add-on score that ended up being the difference in the game for them
0: one more difference I'm also going to point out again an instance of Rindle and staff kind of playing three-dimensional chess. And they talk about this in the postgame too, but early in the third quarter, Whitewater had the ball with fourth down just short of midfield. And they kept the offense on the field on a fourth down and five at their own 48. So Wheaton calls timeout. And that's one less timeout that Wheaton had when the game came down to the closing seconds. Who knows what Wheaton might have been able to do if it had a timeout in its pocket at the end. Whitewater essentially never intended to go for it on that fourth down they were always intending to punt but they used that opportunity to force Wheaton to burn one of their timeouts
3: I think that's a great point with one more timeout, there Wheaton may have been able to run one more play in the last drive and get that last pass into the end zone where anything can happen as Wheaton knows
0: that they sure do all right other half of this quadrant you see Wartburg advancing with a 42 to 20 win against Whitworth
3: Yeah, after trading first-quarter touchdowns, Wartburg scored the game's next 35 points on the way to a 42-6 to lead with about eight minutes left in the third quarter. Niall McLaughlin had a huge day for the Knights, completing 25 of 31 passes for 352 yards and four touchdowns. Drake George, he was on the receiving end, nine of those passes and two touchdowns. Something I think we've observed a bit from Wartburg this season is their ability to kind of throttle down when games are in hand, and it looks like they tossed out the anchor a bit once the five-touchdown lead was established. Generally a pretty safe margin with Wartburg's excellent defense. Uh, Indeed, Hunter Claussen took a seat after that final score. Uh, You can understand why. Niall McLaughlin watched the fourth quarter from the comfort of the sideline. So the Knights, they're going to head into next week's game with Whitewater not only playing really well, but they should be well-rested as
0: well. Here's a little more from Saturday with Drake George. Nile just throws,
5: they're perfect all the time, you know. It really gives you a lot of confidence, you know, before the play or, you know, seeing how they're lining up, just knowing, like, no matter how your route goes or what's happening, out gonna put in a good spot for you to make the play. And I think that just, you know, we have so much confidence in all our playmakers on offense, like top to bottom from receiver, tight end, running back, that uh, Nile no matter what, he would put the ball where he needs to, it just helps a lot.
0: Greg, we put out the call for the mailbag, and we got it on the spot. This on the spot comes to us from Dylan Kramer at Steeltown86, who said, Of the eight teams remaining, pick which teams will score more points this round than they did last round. And then he replies to that saying, this isn't a question, more like an on the spot. And that is absolutely correct. I would say this. I don't believe North Central is going to score more than 71 against UW lacrosse. We could probably discuss some other teams. All right. Let's see. I could see either or both of alma
3: and Cortland going over their 24 and 25 respectively that's a game that could get a little pointsy. i would agree though that those might be the only ones looking around at other matchups johns hopkins they were 39 this week randolph making 46 Uh, i don't know that either of those defenses are are going to give up into the 40s Agreed. So I'm going to go no on both of those.
0: Yeah, and Wartburg with 42, Whitewater with 49. I don't see the Wartburg-Whitewater game developing into that kind of shootout either. Might be a little higher scoring than you think, but maybe not quite that higher scoring. I could see that
3: game being a really close game in the 30s within one score of one another, but maybe not 40s. I think those defenses are too good.
0: And then we haven't talked about UW lacrosse, but for them to score more than 56 against north central i think would again maybe almost entail an entire separate podcast
3: yes indeed so pat are we in agreement on the spot alma and Cortland, are we going both
0: over i'm gonna go both over are you i think so yes thanks dylan kramer great question
3: now that that locks me into quick hits there you go that's not my stat also not gonna be my stat not my stat that may be the most incredible
0: stat. Time for stat of the week. And Greg, my stat of the week comes from the past 10 years, or at least the past 10 postseasons. The Ohio athletic conference dominated the first 14 years of the five round NCAA division three football playoffs, winning 64 games and losing 17. That's 64 wins in 14 seasons and a number of years in which mountain union won the whole thing. It's an average of 4.6 wins in a bracket where for most of that time, it took five wins by a team to win the title. But notably, for the first six years of that bracket, Mountain Union could have won it with just four wins and a first-round bye. In the past 10 years, however, that number has lowered to 4.0 exactly. That's 40 wins against 13 losses. Twice in this span over the past 10 brackets, Mount Union has won the national title, and four times it's been the case where there are two OAC teams in the field and both of them have lost. The WIAA has been pretty steady with a 750 winning percentage before 2013 and a 741 since. But the biggest gains over the last 10 brackets have been made by, well, probably not a surprise. The American Southwest Conference was 27 and 20 before 2013, including a number of head-to-head matchups where they were required to both win and lose a game and they're 30 and 12 cents. The CCIW was 23 and 21 before and 29 and 14 cents. Other big gainers include the Centennial. They went from eight and 15 to 16 and 12 and the American rivers conference, formerly the IIAC 11 and 20 before 15 and 11 over the last 10 years. In addition to the OAC, the Northwest conference and the MIAC have each had declines in postseason winning percentage
3: with UW-Whitewater's win over Wheaton on Saturday. The Warhawks advanced to their 15th quarterfinal since 2005, which is, of course, when the Warhawks joined the national championship level tier of the division. That is a great accomplishment, but it is not my stat. If you're going to get the Warhawks in the postseason, Pat, you better do it in the first round or in the quarterfinals or later, because in the second round, Wisconsin-Whitewater is now a perfect 15-0 since 2005, and that is my stat of the week. Your categories have become tiresome.
5: You've got mail. Tiresome.
0: (laughs) So we put out the call on the platform known as X when we are looking for questions for this podcast, and we got one from... Dylan Gabriel at D Gabriel underscore fifty-two asking, how many of your picks slash predictions change if you flip home and away for each game? That's an interesting question. Why don't we go game by game? Greg, do you think that Alma Cortland is dependent on Alma hosting?
3: It would seem not. I think if Alma is good enough to go into Alliance and win that they can go pretty much anywhere and win. I think the venue doesn't really impact them too much. I think they've proven that now. So, uh, Alma at home, it'd be interesting to see what the, what the weather looks like up there. I know it was not conducive to Alma's style of offense when you saw them in the first round. So we'll see what it looks like in December.
0: If it's not conducive to Alma's style of offense, it's probably not conducive to Cortland's style of offense either
3: also true yeah so you know i don't think that the the venue impacts how i'm gonna i don't know how i'm gonna pick that game just yet uh
0: i have an idea how i'm gonna pick that game but i will save it for the time where we pick games i think that uh home field advantage is probably not going to be a deciding factor for me in that game looking at johns hopkins randolph macon also on that side of the bracket i mean these two schools are not very far apart from each other they're somewhat familiar with each other they played each other it's more distant past maybe than recent history but i think that i would probably pick the same team to win regardless of which field is played on i think so
3: as well it's not you're not looking at a big surface difference there's not a grass versus turf situation there you hear more about the hopkins randolph macon sort of series in 346 coming up later this week um that's a game that i don't think my pick changes there either Depending on venue, like you said, it's pretty close to both. Uh, those schools are located pretty close to one another. Randolph-Macon making Randolph making their first quarterfinal trip should get a, a decent uh, following to get up to Baltimore and, and watch that first quarterfinal game in school history.
0: I'm just going to have the very picky caveat to say that Randolph-Macon has been in the national quarterfinals before, but that was when it was an 18 bracket. This is the first time that they have advanced – to the national quarterfinals it is not their first national quarterfinal game but that is a copy editor level picky way to go about saying that i will revise my statement to say this is their first third round game there you go exactly that's another good way to put it okay uh uw lacrosse against north central i don't foresee home field being a factor that swings me one way or the other
3: no i feel like you could play that game underwater or on mars and it's probably not going to matter a whole lot um if anything the the venue here probably adds fuel to the fire for north central yeah. this is one that maybe lacrosse would want to give back and we heard Brad Spencer earlier said you know there's so, there are positives to road trips for teams it's a it's a bonding experience and so they'll they'll leverage it that way
0: i would say on mars you know the lack of gravity and the added uh, bulkiness of the spacesuits might slow down the north central offense a little bit and then we're going to Wartburg and uw whitewater i might be tempted to pick this game with a score so narrow that home field advantage might be relevant
3: yeah this is the one where i'm thinking maybe the score here is within that sort of home field
0: What is it? Three. The people say three points. We have to now ask, uh, of course, uh, Logan Hansen has very specific numbers about that. And in some cases, it's less. But yes, it's it's pretty narrow. It is. And I think,
3: you know, I think there I think there can be a substantial difference between playing uh, at Wartburg and playing at Perkins Stadium. We know Perkins Stadium can really. Really pile in the people, and that's one of the handful of venues where I think a home crowd can influence a game. I don't know that they're going to get ten or fifteen or twenty thousand people for this game, but you know that's the that's the kind of venue
0: in Division Three where I think the home field could maybe swing a thing or two. So, Dylan Gabriel, to answer your question, one, one of your picks predictions change if you flip home or away for each game. Great question. I do want to respond to one other question that we got in the course of this, and that is from T Mills at Pops of One, asking, when will boards be available? So much to discuss. D3boards.com obviously has been down since middle of Saturday afternoon. This is a piece of software that is so, so old. I think we sent people to the moon with it. I need uh, professional help. I've been soliciting freelancers to work on it, so... The website is not dead, but right now it still has to remain in maintenance mode, maybe for a couple more days. Hopefully, within the next few days, we can get D3boards.com back up and running. Oh, Mount
3: Union loses in the second round and post patterns goes down. That There's the conspiracy right there. If you're looking for one, there it is.
0: So we will talk about next week's games in our upcoming podcast, number 346. Keep an eye out, of course, for more coaching changes throughout the uh postseason for a lot of programs as well and then of course we had the Gallardi Trophy semifinalists come out this past week Greg 20 of them because of a record number of Gallardi Trophy nominations I think as a voter I'm perfectly happy to have them just do a rough cut and send us 20 people to vote on I think that's just fine Um, and I'm looking forward to actually receiving a ballot for that at some point. But I know the fans have the ballot in their hands already and are hard at work on it.
3: Yes, you can find that fan ballot at D3Football.com. It's in the rotation. Click on that and vote for the player you feel is most deserving.
0: So you can do that through 1 p.m. Eastern time on December 2nd. All right, Greg, here's the moment of truth. How did we do last week in our predictions? Well, Pat, it's
3: no surprise that this week there were no perfect rounds as the entire Quick Hits panel missed on Alma's win over Mount Union. Other than that, the only other misses this week came from Keith's pick of Ithaca over randolph macon Whoa.
0: I love it when you are out there and totally destroying the thought that you have any bias towards your alma mater. It just looks so bad when your alma mater then goes and wins 46 RIP. Indeed. So
3: Keith missed on Ithaca. Ryan tips picked Whitworth over Wartburg. That did not pan out. And Riley Zayas picked Aurora over lacrosse and Grove city over Cortland. So just a uh, five and three for Riley this week. Overall, Frank Rossi leads the way with 23 of the 24 games so far picked correctly. Logan Hansen has 22. Correct. Ryan tips and Keith McMillan check in with 21. Your ATN co-hosts each have 20, and Riley Zayas, with those three misses this week, slips to the back of the pack with 19 correct.
0: If I were trying to game the system, I probably should have picked Alma to defeat Mountain Union, but I got burned last week with a couple of those very similar uh, situations, very similar possibilities. And this was Around the Nation podcast number 345, released on November 27th of 2023. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for our continuing coverage all season all postseason, all off season we are very thankful for the support of our monthly Patreon subscribers and you can join them or learn more about it by visiting patreon.com d3sports I also had an email this week from one fan who said for the holidays this season I am soliciting donations for d3sports.com how do I do that or do I just go to patreon.com first off Thank you. Thank you for doing that. A one-time donation, I would send people to d3sports.com help. That is a great way to do that. That's a page that's set up to accept donations from the major credit card type services. So thank you for that. If supporting us financially, whether in a holiday mood or not, is something that uh, doesn't work out for you, you could help us out instead by telling a friend, tell a classmate, tell a parent of a coach about this show. You can give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts if you're so inclined because that will help other people find this show. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on X using the D3FB hashtag. I post from at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We still do at the moment have a message board devoted to Division Three sports, and when it is back up and running, you can join that conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Patrick Coleman. It's written by Patrick Coleman and Greg Thomas. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh and Damara O'Malley. A lot of additional audio this week from Cortland Athletics, Johns Hopkins Athletics, Parker Olson at the Royal Purple. From North Central Athletics... And then, of course, thanks also to Carter St. John for joining us and for Jason Couch and Nick Nemeth for helping set that up. Also from Kurt Fitzpatrick at Cortland. You'll hear more from them in a later podcast as well. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks, and you can find them at DJMentos.com as well as on Spotify. Keith McMillan is our OG host and the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com. We're super grateful for that. We're looking forward to his audio in the next podcast. And also grateful for Greg Thomas uh, as the co-host of this show. And look at that. We got you out just in time for your Sunday evening event.
3: Yes. Everybody will be excited about that.
5: Sorry, you stayed to the end of the podcast this week, and there's no cool
1: bonus anything. Next week, though.
0: I mean, I could go get that trombone.